Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Currently, we are going through the book of Daniel, where our theme is, we can live with courage because of our confidence in God, no matter what chaos we face. Thank you so much for joining us at The Chapel Online. My name is Steve Elworth. I'm the Global and Local Outreach Director at The Chapel, and I am really excited to continue in our series in the book of Daniel. Now, I've been looking forward to this series for a long time, because we live in a time and in a country that is actually very similar to what we see in the book of Daniel. We've been tracking with, uh, with some guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the last couple of chapters, and we've We've looked at all of the ways that they've had to get into this new culture. They were taken out of their land into exile. Had to learn a new language, learn a new culture. They were given new names. They had to eat new food, uh, all so that they could be in a new place and live sent among a people that are very different from them. And in the midst of it, trying to stand for the one true God in a culture surrounded by people that don't share their beliefs and their convictions. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like our current climate to you. Because for many years in Western and American culture, to be Christian was advantageous. It wasn't looked down on. But in an increasing way, we live in a time that will begin to mirror what we see in the book of Daniel. Instead of benefiting from being a Christian, it's gonna become more costly. Instead of being respected in some circles, there's going to be ridicule. Instead of it being a good idea to go to church, people are going to think it's more and more weird. And the temptation for those of us that have been a part of church is to fight against the culture that lessens our benefits, that lessens our power, that lessens even our freedoms. But that's not what we see in Daniel. These guys, these young men were unwavering, non-conforming, and they were even ready to die. Their focus was on living for God, even when tempted to follow the culture, even when tempted to conform. And as a church, at the chapel, I think we need to let their example be etched into our hearts. As we live in a world that is increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus. And what I wanna look at today is, are we ready? Are we ready for the things that are gonna come against us as we try to stand on the word of God and for the things of Jesus? So as we dive in to all of this, allow me to pray for us. Would you join me? God, thank you for the book of Daniel, and I pray uh, that as we dive into chapter three, that every single person who is joining me, whether they're on their couch, in their kitchen, in their car, working out, wherever they are, that we together would be able to look at the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they stood for you as the world around them was chaotic and crazy. So would you give us focus and would it be your words that are heard, not mine? We don't wanna know what I have to say. We wanna know what you have to say. So would you go before us as we go through this together in Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to be looking at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter 3. And you're going to see the words um, on, the, on the screen as we go along. Now some of you may be familiar with this story, so I hope um, it's refreshing to go back through it. If you haven't heard this story, you're in luck because we're going to go through the whole thing. So starting in verse 1 in chapter 3, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, we don't measure things in cubits anymore, so this would have been a statue, a pure gold statue that was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So a pretty big statue that can be seen from anywhere. Continue a few verses later in verse 4. It says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, I want you to try to imagine this scene, right? A 90-foot golden statue that can be seen from anywhere in the city. And a voice gets on the loudspeaker and says, hey, if you hear music of any kind, you need to stop what you're doing and you need to bow down to this statue that was erected to look like our king. I would imagine that if you really put yourself in that situation, it probably sounds a little weird, doesn't it? We can't really picture it happening. My guess is if you were commanded to bow down to a golden statue that was erected, you would probably push against that. You probably wouldn't do something like that as just being asked to do it. So it seems a little weird, this, this scene, but we need to remember that it wouldn't have been weird at this time. All nations had their gods that they would make statues to and that people would bow down to. And in a lot of places, the kings were seen as gods. So it wouldn't have been strange for King Nebuchadnezzar to ask people to bow down to the statue. It shows how big his ego was, for sure, but it wouldn't have been strange. It wouldn't have been a strange command to have been given. What would have been weird is people not bowing down. What would have been weird is anybody who heard that command deciding, I'm not going to bow down to this statue. But for those who had been taken uh, into exile, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, actually bowing down to this statue would have posed a problem. I mean, they have given themselves to the culture in so many different ways, but to bow down to any god other than the one true god would have been a problem for them. Now, you might be thinking that, man, even in a world and a culture that we live in that's so crazy, I'm glad I don't have to bow down to a statue because that's weird. But is it weird? Now, track with me here. We live in a very similar world to what we see here. There may not be 90-foot statues of gold for people to bow down to, but in our world... There is also music that plays, and when it plays, we feel the pull to bow, to bow down to false gods or to bow down to an idol. The music might be a little bit different. The statue might be a little less obvious. Now, I don't know what the music is like for you, 
Maybe it's something like this. Now, maybe some of you instinctively went to your pocket trying to see if that was actually uh, your ringtone. Uh, but those, that phone, those nine-inch statues in our pocket, instead of the 90-foot statues, they go after our time and our attention. And we've been programmed. Every time that thing buzzes, every time that thing beeps, we take our attention from whatever is we're focused on and we put it towards that phone. It's been found that the average person touches their phone 2,617 times per day. And for my generation, it's double that. Now that might not seem like worship and bowing down, but really a good definition of worship is what you choose to give your time and your attention to. And in a lot of ways, when the music plays, just like the rest of the world around us, our attention is off of the things of God into that little box in our pocket. But maybe that's not the music for you. Maybe the type of music that tempts you is something more like this. Now, I could have chosen a lot of jingles for that, but all of these jingles that we find on commercials are music that plays to get us to think about the next thing we think we need, the next toy, the next thing to make us look better, the next thing that we think is gonna make us feel better. And it might not be a 90-foot statue of gold, but it's a statue of gold, nonetheless, that many people are bowing down to, thinking just like the rest of the culture around us, the next car, the next piece of jewelry, the next article of clothing, the next toy, the next gadget, whatever it is, is finally gonna make me happy. In 2021, the average person is expected to be exposed to 6,000 to 10,000 advertisements every single day. Now for some of us, we try to work in maybe 10 minutes of Bible a day, or if we have time for it, church on Sunday, maybe a community group, but man, in competition to six to 10,000 advertisements a day and 10 minutes of Bible in the morning, what's gonna win in receiving our worship? Or maybe it's not your phone, maybe it's not stuff, but maybe the music that tempts you to bow down is something like this. And if you've been to an LSU game, you know what we do. Go Tigers. We all love the Tigers. And you might not be thinking that, oh, that's bowing down, that's not worship, but does your heart rate increase a little? As you're watching the game, does your focus move away from everything else? Maybe your emotions are partially dictated by the results of the game. That's worship. That's what draws our attention. And I know for some of us, the irony is not lost on us that we are literally at that sound bowing down. See, the temptation to bow down to other gods is the temptation really to be like everyone else around us. 
Back then, you didn't want to stand out by being the one dude that didn't bow down. Bowing down would have let you fit in. It would have let you look like everyone else. It would have allowed you to conform. It would have given you benefits, advantage, and you wouldn't be thrown into the fire. But the same temptations exist today. Bowing to a statue seems crazy to us, but I'm afraid that many of us don't realize the music that's playing every day, beckoning us to bow down just like everyone else, looking for those things that'll satisfy us. And ultimately, it was the temptation to be like everyone else that got the people of Israel exiled in the first place. In 2 Kings chapter 17, we read this summary of why they got taken into exile. It says this, all this, the exile of the people of Israel, took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Catch this, they worshiped other gods and they followed in the practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before them as well as the practices the kings of Israel had introduced. The people of Israel were supposed to show what God was like to the nations, but instead they wanted to be like the nations that were around them. And I wonder what type of temptation Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be known as the only ones who didn't bow down. And it makes me think, what would I have done? What would you have done at the order to worship the statue? I think some in our day would have taken to social media talking about how terrible this is. Some would have asked for the impeachment of Nebuchadnezzar. Some would probably hide. Some might bow down out of fear. I think many would bow down without even realizing that they were giving their worship over to something. They just wanted to be like everybody else around us. See, it's hard to imagine being in a situation like this because we're so used to the rights and the freedom that we've grown accustomed to. And we forget how the rest of the world lives. In so many places in the world, this is still what happens as the music plays, people bow down to actual statues. And sometimes it seems like Christians and the church has the primary function to try to maintain a way of life that benefits us rather than letting God use us for his purposes. Even if it means that things get harder than they already are. So let's continue and see what happens in our story. In verse eight, we read this. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lie, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Notice that it's not just that if you stand for God, you're gonna stand out because you're different. Sometimes you're gonna be persecuted for it. That's what we see here. It just wasn't that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood out but they were persecuted by the people around. They had received benefits from the king. They had a high status. People were jealous, and they were looking for an opportunity to throw them under the bus. 
Are we ready? Are we ready as a church if it's not just that we look different and stand out, but if we're actually persecuted for standing for Jesus? Let's continue on, see what happens. It says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now I'll give you another chance. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The stage was set. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had drawn their line in the sand. They had become part of the culture in every way that they could. Got new names, learned a new language, learned a new culture, loving the people around them, living sent in a place that was not their own. But their line was that they would never give their worship to another God. Now I wonder if they were comfortable before this with that line while they were living there because it hadn't really been threatened. But now their line would be put to the test. And would it still hold? Maybe you've drawn lines. I know I have. But one of the questions that haunts me and that I pray for a lot recently is will those lines still hold when the pressure's on? When it might cost me my reputation, my comfort, my job, my rights, or even my life? So here's the thing, identifying the right hill to die on is one thing. Being willing to die on that hill is quite another. So in our story, old King Nebi confronts these guys and says, hey, all your convictions, they're cute and all, but now it's time to conform. It's time to fall in line. It's time to be like everyone else. I gave you your special diet, but this is too much. So I'll make it easy for you. Do it or die. Listen to what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That's hardcore. If you're looking for a good tattoo idea, that's a pretty good one, even if he does not. They're saying, and I think very respectfully, I don't think they were rubbing it in his face, I don't think they were sticking out their chest, I think very respectfully they were saying, hey, we believe God is able to save us from the furnace. We believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt, but he might not. We know only two things. We are not gonna bow down to anyone but him. And the second thing we know is either way, we're delivered, either by life or by death. Spoiler alert, they survive. If you're familiar with the story, 
It's easy to run past this and think, oh yeah, they had foreknowledge, they knew they'd survive, everything's gonna be good, but at this point, these guys didn't know if they would live another hour. Their faith was amazing. But here's the thing, their faith isn't amazing because they believed God would save them. Their faith was amazing because they believed that even if he didn't, he was still worth it. That's courageous faith. And before we move on, notice what they didn't do. They didn't get on social media and denounce the king. They didn't spit in his face. They didn't start a petition. They didn't form a mob. They didn't get public. They didn't complain. They had drawn their line in the sand and they were ready to face the consequences, whatever they were, because they trusted in their God. That's faith. That is courageous faith. That's the type of faith that God has always commended. Just go read Hebrews 11 and read about people throughout history that did just that. So we continue, and it says that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the, the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men who were tied up and thrown into the flames? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. What an awesome story. It shows God's power. It shows amazing faith. Songs have been written about it. People who didn't grow up in church have heard about it. VeggieTales even did an episode about it. Shadrach and Benny, anyone? But often the application of this story is this. If I have faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then God will save me from my fiery furnace. He'll take away my suffering. He'll defeat my enemies if I just believe hard enough. That is not what this story is about. This story isn't about you. And to put it another way, you're not the hero of this story. The story's for you, but it's not about you. And this is a good principle as we learn more and more about the Bible. The Bible's not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. You're not the hero of these stories. I am not the hero of these stories. 
God is the hero of these stories. But we like being the hero of the story. It's easy to want to cast ourselves as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story. And don't get me wrong, their faith is something for us to emulate. We can learn a lot. But the purpose of this story is not how their faith conquered all. The purpose of this story is that God conquers all. And if we're anyone in this story, we're the people that reported Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or maybe we're the people mindlessly bowing down to the statue. Or maybe we're the king, so wrapped up in people liking us that we're willing to do anything to get them to like us or bow down. This story is not about how God will spare you from suffering and make your life better. This story is about how God always advances his purposes. And ultimately, it foreshadows a fiery furnace that all of us have earned for ourselves. Separation from God forever and what the Bible calls hell. And it's a furnace that Jesus himself entered so that you would never have to. But Jesus' furnace was a little bit different. In our story, a fourth person comes to be with them. Some scholars think it was an angel. Some say that maybe it was Jesus before he took on flesh. But what we see is that this fourth person is the presence of God standing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. God came to stand with them. But when Jesus endured the cross, God's presence didn't join him. God turned his face away from Jesus as Jesus was bearing the weight and the penalty of my sin and your sin and the sins of the world as God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus for our sake. And Jesus willingly goes into that furnace not to stand with us, but to stand for us. God spared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from judgment by standing with them. He was right next to them. But Jesus came to stand in our place so that it was him on the cross and not us. And he did that so that he could be with us in every furnace, in every suffering that we would ever have. Because he endured the cross and defeated death, he's with us. In our story, three innocent guys were spared. On the cross, the only innocent one was not spared so that the guilty, you and I, could be spared. The only innocent person to ever live took on our guilt so that the guilty could go free. At the cross, the innocent, Jesus, was punished so that you and I, as the guilty, can go free and have life. We are not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story. We're not the innocent ones. We're the guilty ones that Jesus died for so that we could have life. Because the reality is it's not about being good and innocent. It's about being forgiven. Jesus stood in our place, not because of anything that we've done, but so that we can have his life and be with him 
forever. But so often it's the church that looks down at the culture and acts like we have the moral high ground instead of engaging the culture because we were redeemed out of that fiery furnace and they can be too. There's nothing better about us. We have no high ground. We only have the grace of Jesus that we couldn't and didn't earn. What this story shows us is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can love the culture around us and stand for God no matter what happens to us. And that's true even when life gets hard, even when the culture is chaotic, and even when we suffer. And we know that because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not who we follow. We follow Jesus. We follow the one who willing. We do not follow the ones that were willingly spared from suffering. We follow the one who willingly endured suffering so that we can be redeemed. And because he rose from the dead, we don't have to worry about what happens to us. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything's going to be okay. And there's a world that needs that kind of confidence. And that's what the end of the story shows us. Look at how the chapter ends. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation, language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubbles for there is no other God that can save in this way. Personally, I like the chapel's strategy of outreach a little bit better. Pray, invest, invite. Um, but this is the king's cut in pieces, lay houses in rubble, kind of, a, kind of a strange outreach strategy. We'll stick with ours. But catch what's happening here. The people of Israel were supposed to be the ones representing God to the world. They were supposed to be the ones that the world, that the nations could look at and see, man, God is awesome. But instead, Israel looked just like the world. And in the book of Ezekiel, we get this harsh prophecy. It's a a prophecy that was given during the 70 years of exile. And listen to these words. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm about to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned, that means to make common, which you profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations the name you have profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Even in exile, God was still on a mission. Even with his people in exile in a foreign land, God had a mission to let the whole world know who he was. And he used a king who thought he was God and three young men that decided that no matter what, they were going to honor God. The world is changing. We all know that. Many are worried. Some are wondering what's going to happen. There are people concerned on both sides of the spectrum and both sides of the aisle. But the question that this story raises for me is not, what's going to happen? It's not, How can we maintain the status quo? It's not, how do we maximize our comfort and freedom? The question that this story raises for me is, 
Are we ready? Have we seen that Jesus is so much better than anything else that the world offers? Have we believed at our core that we were completely lost without him and Jesus gave his life, endured his fiery furnace on the cross so that we can have life? Are we ready to say with these guys, God's able to save me. No matter what happens to me, God wins in the end. But even if, even if it gets hard, even if there's suffering, even if things keep changing, we will only bow down to Jesus, no matter what that means for me. The only way to do that is not to look at the culture, not to look at the White House, not even to look at your own situation, but to look to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've not said yes to him, you may not feel like you have an anchor in this life as things keep changing. Jesus didn't come so that we can have a good life and avoid suffering. He came so that we can have an anchor for our souls in the midst of a world that will keep changing. He endured the furnace, the cross in our place. He rose from the dead to give us life, to seal the promise that in the end, everything's gonna be okay. Even if the suffering doesn't end in this life, if Jesus rose from the dead, in the end, everything will be okay. And that same Jesus has opened his arms and said to anyone who would believe in me, anyone that would say yes, to me, come. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, let today be that day. In an ever-changing world, God has not left us to figure this out on our own. He has given us his son who defeated death for us to throw ourselves on with full peace and confidence. And he proved that he is who he said he was by rising from the dead. If that's true, everything will be okay. So let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus. I wanna pray for us. Both for those who have said yes to Jesus and for anybody who is with us that might wanna say yes to Jesus today. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you that you endured the cross you stood in our place. You took on the wrath of God so that we would not have to. And if there is anyone listening today that, that wants that anchor, I pray that you would speak to them and that you would draw them close to you. And if that's you listening, you can just say, wherever you are in your car, on your couch, gotta believe that you sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a death that I deserved and to defeat death by rising from the dead. And I believe and I give you my trust and all of who I am. For those of us that have said yes to Jesus, God, I pray that in a changing, chaotic, crazy world that will continue to morph would you give us grace to put our full trust and hope in the only one that is unchanging, 
the one who died for us. Give us grace to stand firm on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said yes to Jesus, if you prayed with me, if you want more information about what that looks like, you can click the link in the chat box or go to thechapelbr.com slash yes. We'd love to answer your questions, walk with you in that. But stick around for one more song. We're gonna sing a song that was based on this text called Another in the Fire. And no matter what you are going through, the theme of this song is that Jesus isn't there to get rid of all of our suffering, but because he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he is always with you, no matter what we go through. So would you sing with us? Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.